Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Originally from London, England, Tara Lever is an artist and teacher living by the sea in Cornwall, England. After completing a foundation diploma in London in her early 20s, her regular art practice took a backseat to travel and various forms of employment, including six years teaching Montessori. She was also dealing with reoccurring bouts of depression, which impacted her creativity for several years. Tara moved to Hove on the South Coast as part of her recovery and resumed painting in 2008, embarking on a period of intensive study and development after discovering the world of online blogs and art courses. Ten years later, she moved again, this time to Cornwall, to live in a cliff-top cottage with a purpose-built studio in the garden. She began swimming outdoors, and this saw her work always inspired by ideas of freedom and coastal living, evolved to focus on her deep love of sea swimming and immersing in wild nature. As a result of her years of exploring art as a means of self-recovery and self-expression, Tara began teaching online in 2013. This evolved into a comprehensive artist membership site and community, supporting other artists on their paths. Having these two strands of her work, her own practice and the artist support she offers, brings a rich diversity to her life as an artist. Tara sells her work in galleries in London, the Cotswolds, and Cornwall, and via her own website. Her work is owned by private collectors in Europe, Australia, the USA, Canada, and Africa. Please help me welcome Tara Lever to the podcast. Hi, Tara. How are you this morning? Hi, I'm very well and very happy to be here. Thank you. I'm so excited we were able to connect because we are connecting a little bit further than most of my guests. You want to explain where you live? Because you're in a location. Yeah, I live by the sea in Cornwall in England. So quite far away from you. Very far. And I'm nowhere near the sea. So I'm quite envious of that. I came across your work many years ago. I was telling you recently uh, through social media, through Instagram, and I've watched your evolution and One of the things that I love is some of the work you're doing in Cornwall, but I thought we'd start a little bit sooner and then you could tell us how you ended up there. So maybe you could talk about, you're originally from London? Yeah, that's right. I lived there for my first 30 years. And how did that influence or impact how you create as an artist? Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I mean, I just always made art when I was little that was always sort of my thing I always liked to be making things with my hands not just art but anything crafty and things I could get my hands into I don't know how much living in London influenced that necessarily I think actually since moving to be by the sea that has had much more of an influence on the art I I would definitely agree with you in terms of recent years your love and interest in photography of all things around the sea is incredible 
Could you talk a little bit about how the sea impacts your work or what you do that's so influential? Because it's interesting, your process. Yeah, it's um, well probably more of an obsession than an interest. <laughs> I started swimming well, when I first moved down to Cornwall because after London, I moved to a city on the sea, Brighton in the UK. And so that was kind of bridging the two. And that kind of started it. And I started sea swimming there, but not like I do now. Then when I moved down here, I started swimming in a pool, a local outdoor pool, because I was a bit wimpy about swimming in the sea for various reasons. And that just sort of kicked it off, really. And then after that, I got in the sea eventually. And then it just really took off from there because the place where I was swimming was, you don't know what's under the surface. Like when you look at the sea there, it's it's either grey or sometimes it's lovely aqua here, depending on the weather. But you just have no idea. And then I went under the surface and it was just like this whole magical world opened up and there were the seaweeds and the life down there. And you just would have no idea um, if you're just sort of walking past or even necessarily just sort of paddling. But once I was in, that was it. And I was just basically obsessed and I got an underwater camera and I started taking photos and video. And yeah, that just kind of really impacted the work. Your photos of the seaweed are magical. That would be my word for them. They seem to float, but yet they're luminous and the way the light comes into the water, it's incredible. Thank you. I, I love that because it's, it's quite funny, really, because they do look fantastic. And I actually upgraded my camera quite early. The camera I had was just a very cheap kind of GoPro knockoff that I got off Amazon and it wasn't really doing the job. So I got my parents actually to give me a nicer camera for Christmas. (laughs) And that's just been a real game changer. And I actually don't even like, people are so kind about the underwater photography and I don't feel I can take a lot of credit because I literally, some days, if the water's very cold, I don't put my head under. So I've just got my hand under there and I'm pointing and shooting. And I've got a sense of like, at this point, I've got a sense of what works and how, how far away to stand and what settings and stuff. But it's a collaboration, but I think the sea does most of the work. <laughs> <laughs> and just out of curiosity, how cold does the water get? <laughs> I think the coldest is probably about eight degrees here in winter, maybe, which you, is pretty chilly. You don't swim um, in winter months, do you? I have done. I, I wanted to be a year-round swimmer and I haven't managed that yet, but I have swim enough to be acclimatized now and I can swim and what I think is actually quite nice a lot of people can't be in at all (laughs) it's really just a matter of getting your body used to it yeah I think it'd be a bit of a culture shock for me (laughs) (laughs) so you then take these photographs and can you describe the work that you're doing because I do see a correlation between the work but it's not necessarily always direct yeah, I very much wanted it to be when I started swimming in the pool and I had a kind of epiphany about wanting to make work that was not describing what I saw in any kind of literal way. I wanted it to be very sensory and visceral and much more about how I felt being in the moment in that experience. It's very difficult actually to paint just what you feel because it does lean much more to the abstract and then your brain wants to make it more literal. So the seaweed does show up in my paintings a lot, but there's there's always that kind of dance between the abstract and the you know, the representational. I can see from your color palette, though, you are influenced by nature and landscape and what's around you in Cornwall. That Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. It's funny because I don't, I've never really set out to choose a specific palette and say, oh, I want to paint with this palette. Like I don't put it together beforehand. It just sort of evolves. I've noticed that it does 
often reflect elements of the landscape here, both in and out of the water. Sometimes the weather and like I've just started a series of six paintings that really <laughs> it's so bright, which has not been the kind of palette I've been using the past few years. So it's kind of a shock to me to see it come out. But I kind of like that about it. I was thinking also, you have this most incredible studio since you've gone to Cornwall. Can you, for the listening audience, describe the studio that you created for yourself? Yeah, it really is the studio of dreams, it has to be said. It was a long time coming. When I moved down here, I very specifically wanted to buy a property that had space in the garden for a studio and either have one already there or a shed or something. And the place that I found has quite a sizable garden and there was space for me to build a studio. So I had one built and it's got a view of the sea and the section of garden is separate from my house. So it's kind of in its own space. So I can sort of separate, walk out of the house and go to work if you like. And that's sort of slightly separate, but still at home, which is lovely. And it's full of light and it's very spacious. And we built it so that it would have potential flexibility for, I don't know, guests or maybe Airbnb at some point or something like that. So it's got a studio, uh, it's got a shower and a small bathroom and a small kitchen and then like a mezzanine level, which looks out. There's a big window at the top and it looks out to the sea, which is really lovely. That sounds perfect. I would never leave. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yes, it's love. I mean, I've slept there a few times when I've had family staying and um, I have to say, I would probably make a couple of changes if I did it again, because it's very, very hot in there, like a sauna. It's like so hot, I can't work sometimes. So I think I'd probably design it slightly differently. It might need to put an extra window in, but yeah, it's very comfortable. It's lovely. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful space. I will say that. Apart from being an artist, you're also running your own membership group. Would you talk a little bit about what that's like to balance being an artist and running a membership? Yeah, sure. It's hard. (laughs) It's an ongoing. I mean, I don't really believe in balance per se. I feel like I had a teacher who once said that balance is perpetual motion. And that really resonates for me because it's always a moving target. One of them is always going to suffer a little, like there's never going to be an equal balance of both. And there's, you know, I kind of think of it as like there's seasons of time where I'm focused more on the membership. And then there's seasons where maybe I'm creating a collection. So I'm more in the studio and I just like literally pretty much on a day-to-day basis kind of just have to navigate it so I'm not you know I don't have any like wise words in that regard except that you know I just kind of sort of following the energy and making sure that all the bases are covered and just you know sort of doing my best with it and and letting it be what it is to to a degree and what kind of things do you cover in your membership if people are interested if they wanted to see your work or be a part of that Are you teaching them the basics of painting? Are you talking about art in general? Yeah, it's kind of evolved. When I first started teaching online, that was about nearly nine years ago now. I was focused very much on wanting to help artists to sort of develop and refine what their own, what I call artist voice, what's unique about them. Because I saw there was, a, I mean, back then there were a lot less courses online and and memberships and things than there are now. But I was seeing a, a sort of trend of, people taking courses and it happened to me as well where you know you take a course with a certain teacher and then you'd always know which courses someone had taken because the work came out very like the teacher and I mean that's you know kind of inevitable in some ways and I think it's an important part of learning I think you know copying is is how we learn to a degree but what I was seeing was that people weren't going beyond that like they weren't they didn't necessarily know how to push beyond that into what was theirs and it was confusing and frustrating and so while I do teach 
a lot of process oriented. You know, I don't necessarily teach how to paint a landscape, for example, something like that. I wanted it to be very much that I wasn't teaching people how to paint like me. I wanted to be always pointing back to them and their voice and finding their way, but with some guidance, because obviously that is helpful. So it was very much process oriented. And it's really evolved actually over the years, just because I noticed that when you focus only on the process, there's a key piece that's then missing, which is the mindset aspect. And I, I see that being talked about more now, but it certainly wasn't previously. And that's no, you know, I'm not making a criticism of process-based courses because that's not in their remit a lot of the time. But when that's not covered, that's where I see people really struggling. Like they've got all the techniques and they know how to use their materials and they maybe have a really good sense of um, the kind of art they like to make, or then maybe they want to go a bit more abstract. That's very common. People just want to move away from the realism and get more abstract and expressive, but they don't necessarily know how to do that. And they find that What's happening is the, what I call the demons are coming up quite strong. So the self-doubt, the fears, procrastination, self-criticism, all that kind of thing, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to do what they want to do, not knowing how to bridge that gap from where they are now to where they want to go. So I kind of started to see this theme emerging of these two pillars, process and mindset. And what the Happy Artist Studio does is it brings those two together and helps artists to learn the skills for both and then be able to make their art from a much a place of much less struggle it becomes much easier and then you gain the confidence and then you're able to share it more widely and 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 create the artist life that you want the happy artist life if you like I would have needed you when I started out (laughs) well me too (laughs) do you find that doing that teaching process and working with artists online does it influence or sort of inform how you look at your own art I think it's probably more the other way around. It's a great question because I'm getting feedback from members and students and things and I, I, we're in conversation all the time. I'm always getting insights into things. But in terms of like, I think really it's like what I learn in the studio, I then bring out and offer. And that's always been how I've done it. It's always been me in the trenches doing the thing and then sharing what I've learned. And that's kind of what, what I've built everything on. That's a fabulous way to approach things. I think when we experience it firsthand, it's easier than to explain why something works really well or the reverse of that, why it's a struggle. So that's great. I'm sure your membership and your really appreciate what you bring to the table for them. So that's great. Thank you. (laughs) I noticed when we were talking and, and when I've asked you a little bit about your work, you work in collections. Can you speak to that and that type of process for your work? Yeah, great question. I'm a huge advocate of creating collections because I used to not do that. <laughs> it was <laughs> I struggled with it. And I again, I see other artists struggling with this, that kind of one at a time. And it definitely works for many artists and for, I think, particular kinds of art, especially if your work is sort of slower, more painstaking, perhaps more realistic. But the kind of art that, that people seem to be drawn to my work and, and, and my teaching and stuff seem to be interested in is more expressive and working in collections lends itself really well to that because I mean there's so many reasons to love working in collections I wrote a blog post about it so it's just so passionate about, about all the reasons why it's a good idea and I've, I've noticed that it's it's helped a lot of people it's helped them to actually with both the process and the mindset mm-hmm. kind of side of things it's helped them to 
get that more loose way of working and having lots means that they all talk to each other, they bounce off each other, you maybe get an idea in one that then you can use on another one that got stuck. You don't have to stop just because you reached a stopping point. There's always something else to work on. I mean, there's just so many reasons to love it. And that's why I love working that way. And I also really like that because another aspect that I've noticed that people struggle with is this idea of wanting to try lots of things Mm -hmm. and feeling like they quote unquote should be narrowing down to a specific focus. And I don't think that's necessarily true at all. Although I understand, you know, if you want to work with galleries, for example, they do like a level of consistency and a level of quality. And I think you can probably only really get that by going deep and along with the subject. But by working in collections, it allows me to enjoy that side of myself that likes to has different ideas and wants to explore different things but under a bigger umbrella so I kind of talk about it as each collection being like a chapter in a story about living by the sea you like and so it doesn't matter if there's always a strong thread of meanness in them but it just means that even though they don't all look exactly the same they may not use all the same color palettes I'm still getting to explore while still sort of strengthening and evolving my own artist's voice. When you work in a collection, you talked about how process is important to you. Do you sort of pick a theme for that collection? Is it based on like a number of panels? Like I'm going to paint six paintings. How do you go about deciding what your collection is going to be? Normally, I'll just buy like a bunch of panels because I work on wood panel. So I'll see what I've got stacked away. And then I'll buy a few more. And I, it just tends to usually end up, I don't really plan it, but it usually ends up, ends up between around probably about 12 to 14, maybe up to 17 mm-hmm. paintings. And then sometimes like some of the paintings don't want to be part of that collection, so they don't get included. <laughs> and they, they sometimes get incorporated into another collection or they're, they're what I call solo paintings. They're like the introverts of the studio. <laughs> they just want to be on their own. So yeah, I don't really plan it that way, but I do work on all of them together. Definitely at the beginning of the process, they all start in a similar way and I start them all at the same time and then they'll evolve at their own pace after that. This is going to be a hard question. When you're working at a collection, do you find that there's generally, and I mean, it could evolve from collection to collection, but there's a time frame that those collections take on, like they're two months, they're a month, or is it just each collection has its own ebb and flow like the sea? (laughs) yes I mean sometimes it's slightly dictated by outside things like if there's a show that I'm going to have work in or ideally I've been toying with this because I I haven't quite nailed it down for myself yet I'd like to do three or maybe four collections a year but it just tends to as you say there's a kind of natural rhythm to it and I find that once I start it's probably usually two or three months to get them all finished maybe two the process starts very quickly, but it gets slower and slower towards the end. I don't know why that is. I just find it more and more difficult to kind of bring them to some kind of resolution sometimes. That's great because I just, I think when people are listening about collections, they wonder like, is it something that's a quick process? Is it something that you stretch out over a long period of time? So, Yeah, no, I think it depends on the artist. It depends on what you want to create. It depends on your process too, because like if you worked very small on paper, that's likely going to be quicker and you might be able to produce more collections. Whereas Mm -hmm. I'm working, I mean, I don't work particularly large. I am starting to scale up a bit, but that just does take a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Are you working with oils or acrylics for your paintings? 
um, acrylics and mixed media. I do sometimes incorporate oils. I basically throw anything at it that I really feel like using. (laughs) I like to break all the rules about what you can use together and how you use oils. And I don't even know, I can never remember whether it's acrylics over oils or oils over acrylics. I just kind of, I like to see what the materials will do. Some paintings will have oils and acrylics and inks and all sorts. And then some will just be acrylics. So that's got to be an interesting day where you're like, well, let's just see. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like being a scientist. It's always an experiment at hand. <laughs> That's a perfect description. If you were to give an advice to a young artist who's thinking like, I want to get into working on collections, what would you say for starting out or just jumping into it? I think it's one of those things that you kind of just have to, because it's very process oriented obviously it's very much a case if you need to just get in and try stuff because Mm -hmm. that's how you're going to find out what you like and what you don't like and what what's going to work going forward and what how many you want to do at once and all that kind of you know what services you're going to want to work on it's quite difficult for me to think about offering advice to someone who's sort of just starting out because I'd probably start further back than that but Mm -hmm. there's no reason why someone who's just starting out couldn't just jump straight into painting and collections and they might actually find it teaches them much quicker than doing one at a time which can be quite frustrating if you don't have more of the skills and the the mindset aspect as well. Mm -hmm. That's a good point yeah you've mentioned several times that process is part of your personal journey so what does a typical day look like when you get up and head out to the studio do you have a set routine or is there certain things that you do to get yourself started there is no typical day (laughs) when it's a painting day I don't necessarily paint all day long either and I I paint quite sporadically so I mean I think that's all sort of a blessing and a curse of having your studio at home is that I am you know, I'll go down and maybe do like a burst of two or three hours, depending on what stage of the process it is and whether I get stuck and then kind of can't push through it in that moment. And then maybe I might come up to the house and do something to switch my brain to a different mode for a bit and then go back down. Sometimes it has, that's the rhythm is like, go down, come back, go down, come back several times in one day. I rarely would do the full day down there. And um, for a long time, I felt kind of fraudy about that. I kind of felt like, you know, a real artist would spend hours and hours in there and would forget to eat and all that kind of thing, because that's what you see on Instagram. <laughs> and like, that's not how I work at all. And I'm definitely very aware of when it's lunchtime. So yeah, I mean, there isn't really a typical day, but I, I think that's probably overarching. That's how I tend to work. You know what? It's interesting you say that, because I think too, that's what we're led to believe when we read biographies about artists. They just went into their studio and never emerged to be part of life. <laughs> that's not necessarily true. Right, right. Yeah. That's probably where that comes from. Well, as we start to wrap up, I have five questions that I would like to ask. So if you were to give advice to an artist, what would you recommend? Well, I've got a sort of favorite thing that I've actually been thinking about a lot recently, and I've been doing some writing around it, which and any of my students or members who've been following me for a long time will probably have heard me say it which is make it for you first I just can't even stress how important that is because I I did this myself and I see other people doing it too you know you you get started and like because you're a beginner and you don't or perhaps you're coming back to it after a long hiatus and you you don't have a lot of confidence necessarily and you don't know everything you need to know to feel like you've got something solid to stand on yet so there's a lot of looking outside yourself and a lot of 
should I be doing this or should I be doing that? Should I go and get a degree or should I do more courses? Should I, should I be on Instagram? Or, you know, and there's a lot of kind of outward referencing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's completely natural and understandable. But I think the key thing is to always come back to yourself and what you think about the work and how you feel about it. And you decide when a painting's finished. You don't ask somebody else if your work is finished because that's your, it's your work. Only you can know that. Mm-hmm. And I think building that muscle is very important as an artist because it, it teaches you to trust your own judgment. And that's just crucial. And you'll be so much happier and have so much more fun. <laughs> Yes, yes, <laughs> for sure. What's the best advice that you have been personally given as an artist? Oh, that is quite a tricky one because I've had so many amazing teachers and been given so much great advice over the years. For me, the best advice is always the advice that perhaps starts in the studio but will carry across to the rest of your life. And I've noticed that there's the studio is such a kind of microcosm for life in general. It's There's so much you learn there and, and discover there that you can use across your life. So I think for me... One of the things that the teacher told me years ago was that a painting that works is a balance between the intuitive kind of flow and the technical know-how and you dance. It's a dance between the two, not so much a balance (laughs) since I don't believe in balance, but it's a dance that you do between the two and becoming an artist is learning about that dance and what the steps are. And, And they're always changing too, of course, but I just found that a really beautiful piece of advice and also something I can use across my whole life. That's a beautiful analogy for life, actually. Yeah, I'm definitely dancing all the time. Well, it's more of a fumble. You don't want to see me dance. <laughs> it's the reason I'm an artist. <laughs> this is one of my favorite questions because it's always insightful. If you were invited to a dinner party and you could sit beside one artist, past or present, who would you like to be seated beside and why? This question really makes me laugh because my first response to that is I will never be going to a dinner party. <laughs> I'm a serious introvert recluse and dinner parties are, I don't know what it is. I just, I just, that's not my, not my best place to be. So if I'm allowed, I might change it to a one-to-one coffee, coffee. Okay, dinner. coffee is good. Coffee is good. <laughs> and it would be an artist. She's a contemporary British artist called Emily Ball and she teaches back where I used to live actually and near Brighton I just love her work she's brilliant and she's so she's got such a deep understanding of the nuances of process and how what it is like to be an artist and to be making and just oh she's wonderful and I love her work I'll have to definitely look up her work I don't think I've come across her name so that'll be a, a nice treat for me to, to be <laughs> a new artist If you were to choose one of your pieces as a legacy to leave behind for artists to enjoy and appreciate and learn from for a hundred years from now, what would that be? This is a hard It's so difficult. (laughs) You know what? Knowing you work in a collection, it could be a collection you leave behind. That is a good point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of want to say, you know, the, the most recent painting is always the favorite in some ways, but actually thinking about it, there was a real turning point painting for me, which is called Whispering the Numbers. And I made it, it was the first painting of the first collection of water paintings, which was actually when I was swimming at that outdoor pool that I mentioned. And it's quite a large one on canvas and it's kind of greens and white. And it's like a olive branch, sort of sketchy olive branch coming down over like as if someone has just jumped in the pool and splashed and it's left a ripple. Yeah. And it's very expressive and lucid free. And it just, 
that for me was a, a real kind of, yes, this is what I'm trying to say in the way that I want to say it. So I'd probably pick that one. That sounds like the perfect piece to sort of lead into where you are now. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. This is off the top of my head. So <laughs> just thinking about, you've really responded to the environment you live in, Cornwall, the sea, and that if an artist was to immerse themselves in their own personal environment, what advice would you give them for really bringing that back to their work? What a great question. I think I would have to be focused on like the sensory aspect of like, I mean, obviously with water, you do immerse. So that's a very easy word to use. But that idea of immersing in all the senses and feeling and listening and smelling and touching things and hearing and all of it, like really getting into your environment even before you start painting. So, or whatever it is that your medium is, like just really being part of that landscape. And I don't necessarily mean a literal landscape, but whatever your subject is, like really like getting into the into the nooks and crannies of it and just being in it, like letting yourself sort of disappear into it. And then that's kind of how I do it. And then I come back and then I can start sort of drawing it down through my hands and sort of through the senses like that. So that sounds wonderful. I mean, go out and experience the world around you really. So. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Tara. This has been wonderful. And I've had so much fun talking to you. And I now just want to go into my studio and just play and have fun. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.